selfies of herself on her work <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not joking. Talk about narcissists. Talk about it. Welcome back to Paranormal. Uh, I am your one of your hosts, Nicolina. I'm the other one, Marie. And uh, we're here to bring you spooky stories. <laughs> And we're really full off pizza. We're full off pizza. We're overtired, overworked. And we're fearful of coronavirus. <laughs> and we're very fearful of coronavirus. By the way, before we dive too deep into this episode, we're going to, as we start now, as we start every episode, <laughs> we're here to tell you we are not professionals on the paranormal. We are not here as an investigative podcast. We are here... To tell each other scary stories or stories about paranormal happenings. And uh, it's more like an urban legends during a sleepover with your friends type of podcast. Not a deep dive into an investigative paranormal uh, podcast. So if you... Nobody got time for that. Yeah. and Or... <laughs> Or the money to get rid of a demon sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but if you don't want to listen to the first 10 to 20 minutes of rambling, usually... <laughs> 20 minutes. Like, it's not 20. It's about Let's 10. It to 10. Um, we talk about random stuff at first, and then we get into our stories. So, random stuff. We ate a bunch of pizza. We're tired. <laughs> we're worried about coronavirus. And we are currently looking at angel demons. Angels and demons, yeah. Yeah, angels and demons. Yeah, and there's been one confirmed case of coronavirus in our city now. Oh, man. And it was We're a, going there, right? Eh? We're going to yeah, go there? Yeah, I don't care. It was a doctor at one of our hospitals, <gasps> which makes it so great. Yeah, like a very prominent... Hospital. Hospital institution that serves and takes care of cancer patients mm-hmm. and this doctor was in direct contact with other mm-hmm. with cancer patients who right. are already compromised um, yeah due to their low immunities yeah so that's where we're sitting this week hope you guys are doing better than that <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah and that's about it uh do you want to start with our horoscopes horoscopes i do I want to get right into our horoscopes. Do you, I'll do yours first. You want to do my first? Mm-hmm. Okay. The key word for you today is boundaries, Leo. Huh. So think for a minute about what this means to you. It's time to have a serious talk with yourself, set some limits, and be honest about drawing the line. Your health, your state of mind, and your relationships with others all depend on your taking the initiative to know when to say no in certain situations. Um, yeah, like, I guess that relates to my work. Um, like, today we were given the option to basically work from home mm-hmm. because of um, possible coronavirus infections mm-hmm. coming to the office. And I felt like, first of all, I lived the furthest away. And I already requested to have work from home as an option, mm-hmm. like after like my first month there, which is now I'm in my first month. So I was hesitant to take the work from home mm-hmm. because I still feel like I'm not at that level. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, wait, 
I have a boyfriend mm-hmm. whose father is, whose his health is yeah. in danger and yeah. like not in a good position. No. If I were to get sick, accidentally mm-hmm. infect my boyfriend, mm-hmm. and then he got his father sick, mm-hmm. I would be absolutely devastated. Yeah. So I was just like, you know what? No, I'm working from home. Um, luckily, someone else in another department was like, because I had a meeting booked for tomorrow mm-hmm. that was with a bunch of people. And I was like, well, I don't want to let them down. Yes. And then one of the guys was like, listen, half of our team is going to work from home. So don't worry. We should reschedule. Okay, good. Uh, I think that that's kind of some, like, I need to set a little bit of boundaries with certain with my employee, like with my coworkers and like with my employer and basically stand my ground a little bit more. Yep. With what I deserve. Well, I'm proud of you for doing that. Okay. Let me read yours. Okay. Let today serve as a reminder of the importance of love, Gemini. Mm-hmm. Don't just think of it as a commodity you fight for and conquer with conniving tricks and strategic <laughs> dating tactics. Realize that love is evident in how you see the world. It's a seed in you. The more you see love in the people around you, even in the heart of a stranger, the more you'll be blessed with its radiant light. I I don't know. It's weird because my story is a lot about that. Okay. So maybe you'll feel more of the love later. Yeah, I don't know. It's not even that I, like, I, I obviously think of my husband when I think of love. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like, I haven't even seen him yet today. Like, I have not even laid eyes on him since 6, like, sure. since 6 a.m. Well, it's so, more just saying, like, you need to, not that you are. I know. Oh, my little angel. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. Just think of love today. Oh, okay. I can do that for just, sure. Just make that a priority for yourself. I can do that. Yeah. I feel like these horoscopes tend to be more advice than, like, actual, like, yeah. things that have happened today. Right. Lately? I don't know. I don't know. Um, Anywho, I guess we could tell everyone what our theme is this week. We can. I've dropped a little some hints here and there, but did you like on social media or no? Just like episode in this oh, episode okay, yeah. already. Yeah. Um. So we've decided. <laughs> I'm a crazy person, and I said to Nicolina, we should do an episode about people who have had near death experiences, who have died and then come back to life. Mm-hmm. Um. And so we were like, yes, let's do that. Um, Nicolina is going to be handling the more lighthearted stories or feel good stories. I decided to go a completely different way Mm -hmm. and I'm dealing with the stories of people who died and went to hell and came back. So, uh, I just thought I would prepare myself for the inevitable. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, these stories kind of made me really want to be a good person. I know. I know. Know what you mean yeah honestly I was, I was like, reading oh. them i was reading these and i was like man i gotta go back to fucking church don't i seriously like, um there's this guy who works at a, the starbucks like across from my work mm-hmm. and so i've already spoken to to my boyfriend about this but this guy looks like my boyfriend like and i think he knows that i think he looks like someone i know because okay. i like I've made eye contact with him, and it's, like, awkward, because I'm just, like, you look oh, like no. my boyfriend, and I'm trying to look away from you, yeah, but, like, but I look still like want to keep looking at you, yeah. But I still want to keep looking at you, because if I don't look at my boyfriend, I'm, you know, <laughs> I find him attractive. Um, <laughs> and, uh, anyway, so, he, he, he'd, like, asked me a few questions about, like, because I'd be there, like, every other day, because mm-hmm. we all go over, and he's, like, oh, how do you like it? Like, how do you like it over there? Blah, blah, blah. And then, um, 
out of nowhere, I was, I was like, oh, I'm really tired today. He's like, I can tell you're getting a fucking venti Americano. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, well, I'm coming from Hamilton. And he's like, oh, I grew up in Hamilton. He's like, I was an altar server at St. Joe's Church. <laughs> and, yeah. And he's like, yeah, my, I went to St. Joe's school. I'm like, oh, oh my, my cousins gosh. went there. I'm like, that was my church growing up. Like, oh I used to go there every day. Gosh. Like, every weekend. And yeah. he's like... He's like, oh my god. He's like, yeah. Like I was like given an award for altar serving, oh and like, god. yeah. And he's like, but he's so tall, this guy. Yeah. Um, he's like six four, and he's like, but they had to give me the priest robes because the <laughs> altar server robes went to my knees, and I, like, cause I grew too fast, and I was like, oh my god, that's so fucking funny. Living the dream. Yeah, living the dream. Oh, so yeah. Oh my god. Um, and he's like, I still go to church because my mom wants to go to, like, makes us go to church. Yeah. And I was like, you're an angel. Yeah. He's like, yeah. I love my mother. And I was like, yeah, I stopped going when I was 15. Ugh, like, yeah, I stopped going as soon as I hit 18. My parents were like, we can't make you go anymore. Yeah. So like, Bye. Yeah. My mom was just sick and tired of fucking asking yeah. me. Yeah, for sure. Anyway. Well. So. Okay. So now we're going to all go to church. I'm sure we've all heard stories from people who've had near death experiences. I, I don't know if you remember in high school there a woman came to talk about us. Or talk to us about being in her late 20s. She had a heart attack while she was getting her hair done. What? Yeah. Okay, no. There was this lady. She came to our school. She was like one of those people that like, you know, we sometimes had assemblies and yeah, we had like speakers yeah, yeah. come in. She came in to talk to us. She died. Oh. Had a heart attack in her 20s. Okay. It While she was getting her hair done at the hairdresser. Okay. She died and her afterlife was a camp that she went to as a child. Okay. Like, that's all I remember about I don't remember that at all. Okay. I must have missed that one. That's fine. Most of the stories are similar. There's people floating above their bodies, feeling no pain and no fear, before they meet a family member or a friend who tells them that it isn't their time, and then they send them back into their skin home. Yeah. So these stories have always fascinated me. One of my favorite shows as a child, because I was a very cool, popular, hip child, Mm -hmm. was I Survived. Which is a show about people who should have died, telling their stories of how they survived, whether it be an attempted murder, a kidnapping, a hostage situation, or etc. So one night I was watching, like, I would go on YouTube and I would be like, I survived full episodes. And they would have the full episodes on YouTube. Yeah. So I'm watching, like, full episodes of the show on YouTube. And I was probably in high school and that's when I discovered that they they had special episodes called... I survived beyond and back. And these were stories of people who didn't just survive, they had died and come back and survived. Okay. So naturally, like these people, I was in heaven. And then (laughs) I got to this one video, and I can't remember if it was an episode of I survived beyond and back, or if it was just something that was like similar to it and came on as kind of like a related to what I was watching. Mm -hmm. But this man was telling his story of how he died and he came back. And his story was different than all the other ones I heard. Okay. Because his didn't have angels and it didn't have a loved one meeting him. Okay. He went to hell and came back. Sick. Which terrified me. Mm-hmm. Which is why I'm going to tell more stories like this tonight. I actually tried to find the video, but I wasn't able to find it. So we're just going to have to make do with what I found. I got my information from mysteriousuniverse.org, thedailybeast.com, Wikipedia, and YouTube. One of the first ever documented reports of a near-death experience, which resulted in the person going to hell, was that of George Ritchie in a book that he published in 1978, and it was called Return from Tomorrow. 
He'd come down with pneumonia and was taken to a military hospital. He was pronounced dead, but was brought back to life nine minutes later and brought with him the terrifying story of his trip to the underworld. Oh, jeez. He claimed that he had an out-of-body experience where he met a figure who took him on a tour of disturbing places. This included a bar where people would try desperately to eat, drink, and smoke, but no matter how hard they tried, they were unable to. As well as a quick jaunt through a barren wasteland where beings of all shapes and sizes were at war with each other and viciously attacking each other, as well as sexually abusing each other. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. Right? His experiences later motivated him to become a psychiatrist and write a few books on near-death experiences. The books were later used by near-death experience researchers in the 70s. The research uh, has found that these types of experiences are more common than we'd like to believe, much like the more peaceful uh, near-death experiences. They vary in detail, but one thing always remains the same. They are fucking terrifying. So, take, for instance, the story of Veronica Barthel. In 1981, she was struck by lightning while driving her car. She lost consciousness, and then she felt herself being dragged by what looked like demons. Ugh. They were all around her, throwing people into caves or stabbing them with spears. Oh my god. And all around their feet were snakes that covered everything. She described it as the creatures being more terrifying than anything she had ever seen in a horror movie. She said, Today I know that they were demons. As soldiers, they were marching past me, and in the middle of them were people that were screaming with pain. It was very difficult to breathe down there because of the terrible smell of this place. I saw a lake which looked like the inner part of a volcano where people were cursing because of great pain. Another notable hellish non um, uh, near-death experience comes from Matthew Botsford. In 1992, he was shot in the head as he was leaving a bar in Atlanta, Georgia. He died three times. I think I've heard this about this guy. He was resuscitated each time on the way to the hospital. <gasps> when he got to the hospital, he was put into a 27-day medically induced coma. Uh-huh. Botsford's experiences started with nothing. It was just a pure black void, which is still very scary to me. Yeah. Uh, slowly, a glow began to break through the darkness below him. This glow started giving off unbearable heat and smoke. He looked down and noticed that his hands and feet were shackled while he was hanging in midair. Right around him, noticing his shackles, is also when he noticed the sounds, screams coming from below. Looking directly into the pit that had opened under him, he could see beasts and figures with demonic glowing eyes growling and snapping at him. The smoke was also horrifying. Every time a plume of black smoke rose, he would notice that a tormented soul was trapped within it. Throughout this, he described the scene as being accompanied with a crushing sense of utter loneliness and despair that pierced him to the core. The heat from the pit below started to burn and sear his flesh down to the bones, turning him into ash, and each time he Jeez. thought it was over, it all grew back, only to start over again. So it was just, like, eternal. Jesus. While his flesh burned, demons started to show up and eat the burned flesh right off of his body. <laughs> what yeah. do these people do? What right? do they do in what their life? What did they do? Um, in the midst of this, Botsford all of a sudden felt a giant hand grab him and pull him away, accompanied by a booming voice saying, it's not your time. Okay. It was then that he snapped out of his coma and realized he was in a hospital room. He went on to write a book about his experiences titled A Day in Hell, death to life to hope so when i first started 
researching uh, this story, I thought to myself that all of these people are probably very religious and are looking for some kind of notoriety or are trying to use fear to gain sure. followers, just okay. like Donald Trump and Hitler. But then I came across the story of Howard Storm. He's a college professor, and he's a staunch atheist. Okay. He was on a trip in Europe, and he suffered a perforated stomach and required emergency surgery. While he was waiting for his surgery, he started slipping in and out of consciousness and then found himself standing next to his own body. That's when he started hearing voices. They called out to him, come with us, we've been waiting for you. He looked around to find where they were coming from and noticed shadow figures huddled around the door to his hospital room. He started to follow them, but once he left the room, a thick fog led them to some kind of tunnel. At first, the spirits were friendly enough. They were kind of teasing him and pushing him through the tunnel, but the deeper they went into the tunnel, the more dark and ominous the figures became. The playful shoves became more forceful, and they started tripping him. Their voices changed into guttural growls, and their joking comments became outright insults. Obviously, he started to get scared, and so he tells them that he wants to go back, Mm -hmm. and that's when they just go fucking nuts on him. Oh, my God. Yeah. He says, we had a big fight, and the fight turned into them annihilating me, which they did slowly and with much relish. They were biting and tearing at me. This went on for a long time. They did other things to humiliate me and violate me, which I don't talk about. Oh, wow. Right? So even though he's an atheist, he starts to desperately pray. This makes the demons angrier, but he just keeps praying through their attack. Eventually, something stronger picks him up and whisks him away back to his body. He was clearly badly shaken by the experience. The weirdest thing about the near-death experiences is that they're all very similar in nature. Mm -hmm. Obviously, things take on different forms, but they're pretty consistent across religions and cultures and display a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. So we've got, like, religious people saying this is what they've experienced. We've got atheists saying this is what they've experienced. Like, um, so I'm going to end this now with a quote from an article titled To Hell and Back, The Dark Side of Near-Death Experiences by Brett Swanser. We can only look at the clues that people have brought back from near-death experiences, wonder what they mean, and hope that the sinister, nightmarish visions of hell we've seen here are not based in reality, or that at least such a fate does not await us when we finally fall over that edge that separates life from the chasm of the unknown beyond it. And that's the three stories that I have about people dying and going to hell. Yep. Thanks. That's the <laughs> devil. Yep. That's the devil. Just I just showed Marie a picture of the devil. <laughs> so she's a little taken aback right now. <laughs> Terrified. <laughs> Terrified. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much a direct contrast from... The experiences I'm going to share. Cool, cool, cool. Um, Now, this one, so I decided to do a really popular one that I'm sure that has had its skeptics. um, And truthfully, like, I kind of thought it was a bit of, like, a money grab from the family because Mm -hmm. they were, like, super devout Christians. And the whole lead-up to the story was them going to church all the time. Uh And the daughter firmly believed in heaven and Jesus and all of that. Right. So her having like an experience like this would 
seem plausible just because of the fact that she's kind of been bombarded with this imagery right her whole life. Her whole life. However, the part of it that's kind of supernatural is what happens to her after. after. Ooh, okay. So I'm in. It's, I'm buckled in. Have you heard of the story Miracles from Heaven? It was turned into a, to a book, and then it was turned into a movie. Yes, vaguely. So, it's a real-life story turned non-fiction book um, that tells the story of Annabelle Beam, okay. who was diagnosed at age four with a chronic digestive disorder. Okay. Um, and by eight years old, Annabelle experienced intense pain and frequent hospital visits, visits to the point where the stu- suffering started to overwhelm her, and she recalled saying... Mama, I want to die and go to heaven with Jesus where there is no more pain. I don't want to be in this much pain for the rest of my life. She said, I was so committed to just giving up that sometimes whenever I couldn't sleep, I'd kind of try and figure out what would happen if I did die. Then I decided my mom would come with me and my dad would stay and watch my sisters. Oh my God. So that's like, she had basically just like, Decided, decided on death and yeah. like knew about it and whatever. Um, so after she had decided that she was gonna, she preferred to die than live. Mm-hmm. A few days later, um, uh, so a few days after she had accepted that death was the only answer to finally being pain free, she fell thirty feet from a tree branch that cracked while Oof. she was sitting on it with her sister. Oh. She claimed that after bumping her head three times on the way down and falling into the hollowed out base of the tree, she died and went to heaven. Oh my God. She described the experience experience as really bright and that she sat on Jesus's lap where he told her, whenever the firefighters get you out, there will be nothing wrong with you. She said she then asked him if she could stay in heaven with him because she decided she didn't she want to, die, to right. be in pain anymore because right. she had this chronic illness and he said no I have plans you need to fulfill on earth that you cannot fulfill in heaven. Okay. So similar to what you said like yeah. they basically send not them back. Time. It's not yeah. your time. Um and then she didn't tell her family this right after it happened. Um it took a few days. So a few days later she told her family about the experience. And her mother, Christy, said she was very matter-of-fact about it. Very, this is what happened, not at all animated, just here are the facts. And then she stopped talking and looked out the window for the remainder of the day. Okay. Um, And the insane part of this all is that after this event, Annabelle is now symptom-free and has gone from taking 10 daily medications to none. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh my god. So she fell 30 feet head first without any injuries. Oh my god. Her mom said she came out of that tree hours later wet, muddy, and with scratches and she was completely fine. Oh my goodness. Like I don't know anyone who can fall 30 no. feet and that happened. And be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh my god. Imagine. Yeah. And so like her dad's kept the tree there forever. I'm just imagining, I'm so sorry, I'm just imagining the deep end of my parents' pool is 10 feet deep, and I'm like, three of those, that is so fucking high. very tall, it's very high, like, if you've seen the movie, like, they have the, you can see, like, the height of the tree is insanely high. Oh my god. And, like, she falls all the way down, like, I don't, head first, even if she wasn't head first, you're gonna break a bone. Yeah, something, yeah. 
Yeah, oh my god. Okay, sorry. And she was eight, so I'm not sure about, like, the... Like, I know they say, like, kids are rubber, but I don't know if at yeah. eight you're still that I rubbery. I olds with broken bones. Like, yeah. come on. Okay. So, anyway, um, she was like... She's like, I continue to climb trees, and she's like, I I'm, I'm feel fortunate since most kids are never healed, so anytime I see a tree, I'm just grateful and happy. Aww. So, basically, she thinks that this friggin incident this experience she went to heaven and then she was cured she's yeah. miraculously after this so i was like okay sure yeah maybe but this is also coming from a family who is extremely dedicated to, and, yeah, to yeah the belief in that those things occurring right so i was like all right where's another story of someone who doesn't have those beliefs mm-hmm. who Really, if they encountered something like this, would be their own worst critic. Right. So, um, this Dr. Evan Alexander, who's a neurosurgeon, mm-hmm. new neurosurgeon, wrote a um, book called Proof of Heaven. Okay. So, um, I'm going to read basically um, in third person um, from the story that he posted on Newsweek. Okay. Um, which is a pretty credible source. Yeah. So... Um, it's from the book that he wrote, but basically he, he explains like the scientific part of himself and why this, what happened to him isn't scientifically possible, but it still happened. happened. Got it. So, um, he did not believe in the phenomenon of near death experiences. He grew up in a scientific world, the son of a neurosurgeon. He followed in his father's path and became an academic neurosurgeon teaching at Harvard Medical School and other universities. He understood what happens to the brain when people are near death and had always believed there were good scientific explanations for heavenly out-of-body journeys described by those who nearly escaped death. The brain is an astonishingly sophisticated but extremely delicate mechanism. Reduce the amount of oxygen it receives by the smallest amount and it will react. It was no big surprise that people who had undergone severe trauma would return from their experiences with strange stories, but that didn't mean they had journeyed anywhere real. Although he considered himself a faithful Christian, it was more in name than actual belief. He didn't begrudge those who wanted to believe in Jesus. Um, He didn't begrudge those who wanted to believe that Jesus was more than simply a good man who had suffered at the hands of the world. He simply, deeply with those who wanted to believe that there was a God um, whose love was unconditional. In fact, he envied such people who had the security that those beliefs provided. But as a scientist, he simply knew better than to believe it himself. In the fall of 2008, however, after seven days in a coma, during which the human part of his brain, the neocortex, was inactivated experienced something so profound that it gave him a scientific reason to believe in consciousness after death. Okay. So here is his story. Very early one morning four years ago, Eben awoke with an extremely intense headache. Within hours, his entire cortex, the part of the brain that controls thought and emotion, and that in essence makes us human, had shut down. Doctors at Lynchburg General Hospital in Virginia a hospital where he had worked as a neurosurgeon, determined that he had somehow contracted a very rare bacterial meningitis that mostly attacks newborns. E. coli bacteria had penetrated penetrated his cerebrospinal fluid and were eating his brain. Oh my God. 
When he entered the emergency room that morning, his chances of survival in anything beyond a vegetative state were already low. They soon sank to near non-existent. For seven days, he lay in a deep coma, his body unresponsive, his higher order brain functions totally offline. Then, on the morning of his seventh day in the hospital, as doctors weighed whether to discontinue treatment, his eyes popped open. Okay. Okay. So, there is no scientific explanation for the fact that while his body lay in a coma, his mind was alive and well. While the neurons of his cortex were stunned to complete inactivity by the bacteria that attacked him, that attacked them, his brain-free consciousness journeyed to another, larger dimension of the universe. A dimension he had never dreamed existed and which the old pre-coma him would have been more than happy to explain was a simple impossibility. Oh my gosh. But that, that dimension, in rough outline, the same one described by countless subjects of near-death experiences in other mystical states, is there, so he says... It exists, and what he saw and learned were pla- there placed him quite literally in a new world, where death is not the end of consciousness, but rather a chapter in a vast and incalculable positive journey. Okay. Um, all the chief arguments against near-death experiences suggest that these experiences are the results of minimal, transient, or partial malfunctioning of the cortex. Right. So that's what is required to have those, like, visions, visions, right? So, in his near-death experience, however, he was in a place where his cortex was not malfunctioning, but was simply completely off. Right, that's what I was going to say when you were finished. I was going to be like, that's fucked. Yeah, so it's clear from the severity and duration of his meningitis and from CT scans and neurological examinations um, that there's absolutely no way that he could have experienced even a dim... Or limited consciousness during this time right. in the coma, much less the hyper vivid and completely coherent odyssey he apparently underwent. Right. Um, it took him months to come to terms with what happened to him, not just the medical impossibility that he had been conscious during his coma, but more importantly, that things that happened during the things that happened during that time. So he's not even just like concerned about the afterlife possibility. He's more concerned about the scientific, like, yeah, like how the how fuck was I even happen? awake if they all could see that I wasn't even, right. I had no like activity. I had no brain activity. Yeah. So, toward the beginning of his adventure, he was played in a place of clouds, big, puffy, big white ones that showed up sharply against the deep blue-black sky. Higher than the clouds, immeasurably higher, flocks of transparent, shimmering beings arced across the sky leaving long streamer-like lines behind them. Birds, angels, these words registered later when he was writing down his recollections, but neither of these words did justice to the beings themselves, which were quite simply different from anything he had ever ever known on Earth. They were more advanced, higher forms. A sound, huge and booming like a glorious chant, came down from above, and he wondered if the winged beings were producing it. Again, thinking about it later, it occurred to him that the joy of these creatures, as they soared along, was such that they had to make this noise, that if the joy didn't come out of them, they would simply not otherwise be able to contain it. The sound was palpable and almost material, like a rain that you can feel on your skin, but doesn't get you wet. Seeing and hearing were not separate in this place. He could hear the visual beauty of the silvery bodies of those scintillating beings above, and could see the surging, joyful perfection of what they were singing. Everything was distinct, yet everything was also part of everything else, 
like the rich and intermingled designs on a Persian carpet, carpet or a butterfly's wing. For most of his journey, someone else was with him, a woman. She was young, and he remembered what she looked like in complete detail. She had high cheekbones and deep blue eyes. Golden brown tresses framed her lovely face. When he saw her, they were riding along together on an intricately patterned surface, which after a moment he recognized as the wing of a butterfly. In fact, millions of butterflies were all around them, vast, fluttering waves of them, dipping down into the woods and coming back up around. It was a river of life and color moving through the air. The woman's outfit was simple, like a peasant's, but its colors, powder blue, indigo, and pastel orange peach, had the same overwhelming, super vivid aliveness that everything else had. She looked at him with that look that, if you saw it for five seconds, would make your whole life up to that point worth living, no matter what had happened in it so far. It was not a romantic look. It was not a look of friendship. It was a look that was somehow beyond all these, beyond all the different compartments of love we have down here on earth. It was something higher, holding all those other kinds of love within itself while at the same time being much bigger than all of them. Without using any word, she spoke to him. The message went through him like a wind and he instantly understood that it was true. He knew, he knew so in the same way that he knew that the world around them was real and not some fantasy. The message had three parts and they ran something like this. You are loved and cherished dearly forever. You have nothing to fear. There is nothing you can do wrong. The message flooded him with a vast and crazy sensation of relief, and it was like being handed the rules to a game he'd been playing all his life without fully understanding it. We will show you many things here, the woman said again, without actually using these words, but by driving their conceptual essence directly into him. But eventually you will go back. To this, he had only one question, back where? A warm wind blew through like the kind that sprung up on the most perfect summer days, Tossing the leaves of the trees and flowing past like heavenly water, a divine breeze, it changed everything, shifting the world around him into an even higher octave, a higher vibration. Although he still had a little, he had little language function, at least as we think of it on earth, he began wordlessly putting questions to the wind and to the divine being that he sensed at work behind or within it. Where is this place? Who am I? Why am I here? Each time he silently put one of these questions out, the answer came instantly in an explosion of light, color, and love, and beauty that blew through him like a crashing wave. What was once important about, what was important about these blasts was that they didn't simply silence his questions by overwhelming them. They answered them, but in a way that bypassed language. Thoughts entered him directly, but it wasn't thought like we experience on Earth. It wasn't vague, immaterial, or abstract. These thoughts were solid and immediate, hotter than fire and wetter than water, and as he received them, he was able to instantly and effortlessly understand concepts that would have taken him years to fully grasp in his earthly life. He continued moving forward and found himself entering an immense void, completely dark, infinite in size, yet also infinitely comforting. Pitch black as it was, it was also brimming over with light a light that seemed to come from a brilliant orb that he sensed getting closer. The orb was a kind of interpreter between him and his, this vast presence around him. It was as if he were being born into a larger world, and the universe itself was like a gigantic cosmic womb, 
and the orb, which he sensed was now somehow connected with or even identical to the woman on the butterfly wing, was guiding him through it. Later, when he was back, he found a quotation by the 17th century Christian poet Henry Vaughan that came close to describing this magical place, this vast inky black core that was at the home of the divine itself. There is, some say, in God a deep but dazzling darkness. That was exactly an inky darkness that was also full to brimming with light. He knew full well how extraordinary, how frankly unbelievable all this sounds. Had someone, even a doctor, told him a story like this in the old days, he would have quite certain he was quite certain that he that they were under some sort of delusion. But what happened to him was far from delusional, as real or more real than any event in his life. That includes his wedding day and the birth of his two sons. Oh my god. Um, what happens to what happened to him demands explanation. Modern physics tell us that the universe is a unity, that it is undivided, though we seem to live in a world of separation and difference. Physics tells us that beneath the surface, every object and event in the universe is completely woven up, and every other object and event, with every object and uh, other object and event, there is no true separation. Before his experience, these ideas were abstractions. Today, they are realities, to him at least. Not only is the universe defined by unity, but it is also defined by love. The universe, as he experienced in his coma, is the same one that both Einstein and Jesus were speaking of, of in their very different ways. He spent decades as a newer neurosurgeon at some of the most prestigious medical institutions in our country. He knows that many of his peers hold to the theory that the brain, and in particular the cortex, generates consciousness and that we live in a universe devoid of any kind of devoid of any kind of emotion much less the unconditional love that he now knows god in the universe has toward us but that belief that theory now lies broken at his feet what happened to him destroyed it and he now intends to spend the rest of his life investigating the true nature of consciousness and making the fact that we are more much more than our physical brains as clear as he can both to his fellow scientists and to the people at large um, so obviously when he went back out into the world to talk about this, many people looked at him in polite disbelief, especially among his medical friends mm -hmm. who soon made him realize what a task he would have getting people to understand, um, what he experienced right. was of any truth. Um, however, one of the few places he didn't have trouble getting his story across was a place he'd seen fairly little before his experience. Can I guess? Is it church? It's church. <laughs> Yeah. So it's church. The first time he entered a church after his coma, he saw everything with fresh eyes. The colors of the stained glass windows recalled the luminous beauty of the landscapes he'd seen in the world above. The deep bass notes of the organ reminded him of how thoughts and emotions in the world are like waves that move through you. And most important, a painting of Jesus breaking bread with his disciples evoked the message that lay at the very heart of his journey, that we are loved and accepted unconditionally by God. He is still a doctor and still a man of science every bit as much as he was before he had his experience, but on a deep level, he is very different from the person he was before because he caught a glimpse of this emerging picture of reality. That was such a nice note to end it on. It was very pleasant. I'm glad that you were the last one. I'm sorry if people expected to have spooks Spookies? from that. No, but I like that one a lot. 
It was very vivid in language. Yeah. And I want to say that, like, he's, like, maybe just a really good writer. Probably. Well, he's very intelligent, too, He's right? extremely so. intelligent, but I want to say that he's not the type of person who would experience that and want to steer the whole scientific community in, yeah, like, the course. wrong direction. Of course not, yeah. So, I think that he did experience something like that. Oh, yeah. Whether or not the brain scans or, function or like, showed activity. Right, right. I still question yeah, for sure. But, like, maybe there was a part of his brain still active? Maybe, possibly. Anyway. Either way, jealous of his experience. Yeah, it just seems, seems like, super fucking super lit. cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, do you want to do Fuck, Mary Kill? I do. Okay. Um, so we're going to do famous people who played angels. Yeah. Okay. Um, you go first. Television. Okay. I am going to pick Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life. Okay. I choose uh, for you as well, Monica from Touched by an Angel. Amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll pick, I will pick um, Loki from Dogma. Okay. That's fair. Mm -hmm. I would probably fuck Loki. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. I would probably marry Monica mm-hmm. and kill the dude from... Clarence? Clarence, yeah, just because he's super old. Right. Fair. And apparently we're just killing off old people right yeah. now, so... Well, if you're coronavirus, If you're coronavirus, yes. then yeah. So for you, I am going to go with Michael from... Michael? from John Travolta's character, Michael. Okay, got it, yeah. Um... I am going to go with Angel from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Nice, okay. And I am going to go with with so um, the movie The Prophecy with Christopher Walken. He plays Gabriel. Christopher so, Walken playing Gabriel. Yeah, we all know who Christopher Walken is. I, I okay, so I'm marrying Christopher Walken. You're marrying him? Yeah. Okay. Hell yeah. Okay. I'll kill John Travolta. Okay. And I'm have sex, with, have sex with Angel done Buffy. Cool. Yeah, I'm not a big Travolta fan. No, me either. Yeah. At all. If I had to choose between Christopher Walken and or Travolta, Travolta, fair. I pick Christopher Walken to live. No offense, Johnny Boy. No worries. I'm sure he's, he's gonna. He's I'm sure listening. he's gonna listen and cry. He's definitely listening he's and crying. Definitely. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's it for. Are this. we doing? No, we're not. Uh, we like we. I have one. I think we ran out really, of time. Honestly, we have run out of time. It's almost forty-five minutes, and it doesn't really go with our theme this week, anyway. Okay, so fair. Maybe next time we'll try and find something a theme closer to what we have lying around in our inboxes. Yeah, and also if any of our listeners have had near-death experiences, like mm, yes. that'd be a really interesting hometown to share. Yeah. If it's not really a hometown, but still, just uh, the hometown of your body. Yeah, the hometown of your body. Um, Yeah. uh, You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter. It's at ParanormalPod on Instagram and at ParanormalPod underscore on Twitter. You could follow our personal accounts. Mine is at Splendora underscore. Mine is at Nicolina Savelli. And you can email us your hometown haunts or ghost stories or near-death experiences uh, at paranormalpod at gmail.com and as always please rate review and subscribe 
to this beautiful podcast so that we can have more exciting content for you in the future. And until then, you just stay spooky. Boom. Bye. Bye.